If you're a Christian believer, I imagine the thought of true revival is a marvelous one. Our imagination begins to run as to what it would look like. We consider revivals of old and cry out, Do it again, Lord. Welcome to episode 140 of the Ask Spurgeon podcast, where we're going to give a little time to consider some of the consequences, some of the things that happen when true revival occurs. I'm Dave Holt and delighted once more to be your host. If you'd like to become a subscriber of this podcast, just click on the subscribe button of your preferred podcast provider. Now, Reverend Spurgeon, help us out here. What happens, what can we expect to see when true revival takes place? My friends, why, the consequences are everything that our hearts could desire for the church's good. When true revival comes into a nation, the minister begins to be warmed. He preaches like a man on fire. The tears run over at his eyes. His soul is full of love for souls. The congregation cannot make it out. They have often said he was dull and dreary and drowsy. How is it all this has changed? Why, it is the revival. The revival has touched the minister. The sun, shining so brightly, has melted some of the snow on the mountaintop, and it is running down in fertilizing streams to bless the valleys. And the people down below are refreshed by the ministrations of the man of God who has awakened himself up from his sleep, and finds himself, like another Elijah, made strong for forty days of labor. Well then, Directly after that, the revival begins to touch the people at large. The congregation was once numbered by the empty seats, rather than by the full ones. But all of a sudden, the minister does not understand it. He finds the people coming to hear him. He never was popular, never hoped to be. All at once, he wakes up and finds himself famous, as far as a large congregation can make him so. There are the people and how they listen. They are all awake, all in earnest. They lean their heads forward. They put their hands to their ears. His voice is feeble. They try to help him. They are doing anything so that they may hear the word of life. And then the members of the church open their eyes and they see the chapel full. And they say, How has this come about? We ought to pray. A prayer meeting is summoned. There had been five or six in the vestry. Now there are five or six hundred. And they turn into the chapel. And oh, how they pray. That old stager who used to pray for twenty minutes finds it now convenient to confine himself to five. And that good old man who always used to repeat the same form of prayer when he stood up and talked about the horse that rushed into the battles and the oil from vessel to vessel and all that, leaves all these things at home and just prays, O Lord, save sinners for Jesus Christ's sake. And there are sobs and groans heard at the prayer meetings. It is evident that not one, but all are praying. The whole mass seems moved to supplication. How is this again? Why? It is just the effect of the revival. 
For when the revival truly comes, the minister and the congregation and the church will receive good by it. But it does not end here. The members of the church grow more solemn, more serious. Family duties are better attended to. The home circle is brought under better culture. Those who could not spare time for family prayer find they can do so now. Those who had no opportunity for teaching their children now dare not go a day without doing it. For they hear that there are children converted in the Sunday school. There are twice as many in the Sunday school now as there used to be. And what is amazing, the little children meet together to pray. Their little hearts are touched, and many of them show signs of a work of grace begun. And fathers and mothers think they must try what they can do for their families. If God is blessing little children, why should he not bless theirs? And then, when you see the members of the church going up to the house of God, you mark with what a steady and sober air they go. Perhaps they talk on the way, but they talk of Jesus. And if they whisper together at the gates of the sanctuary, it is no longer idle gossip. It is no remark about, how do you like the preacher? What did you think of him? Did you notice so and so? Oh no. I pray the Lord that he might bless the word of his servant, that he might send an unction from on high, that the dying flame may be kindled, and that where there is life, it may be promoted and strengthened and receive fresh vigor. This is their whole conversation. And then comes the great result. There is an inquirer's meeting held. The good brother who presides over it is astonished. He never saw so many coming in his life before. Why, he says, there is a hundred at least come to confess what the Lord has done for their souls. Here are fifty come all at once to say that under such a sermon they were brought to the knowledge of the truth. Who has begotten me these? How has it come about? How can it be? Is not the Lord a great God that has worked such a work as this? And then the converts who are thus brought into the church, if the revival continues, are very earnest ones. You never saw such a people. The outsiders call them fanatics. It is a blessed fanaticism. Others say they are nothing but enthusiasts. It is a heavenly enthusiasm. Everything that is done is done with such spirit. If they sing, it is like the crashing thunder. If they pray, it is like the swift, sharp dash of lightning, lighting up the darkness of the cold-hearted and making them for a moment feel that there is something in prayer. When the minister preaches, he preaches like a Boanerges, and when the church is gathered together, it is with a hearty good will. When they give, they give with enlarged liberality. When they visit the sick, they do it with gentleness, meekness, and love. Everything is done with a single eye to God's glory, not of men, but by the power of God. Oh, that we might see such a revival as this. But blessed be God, it does not end here. The revival of the church then touches the rest of society. Men who do not come forward and profess religion are more punctual in attending the means of grace. 
Men who used to swear give it up. They find it is not suitable for the times. Men who profaned the Sabbath and despised God find it will not do. They give it all up. Times get changed. Morality prevails. The lower ranks are affected. They buy a sermon where they used to buy some penny tract of nonsense. The higher orders are also touched. They too are brought to hear the word. Her ladyship, in her carriage, who never would have thought of going to so mean a place as a religious meeting, does not now care where she goes so long as she is blessed. She wants to hear the truth of God, and a delivery man pulls his horses up by the side of her ladyship's pair of greys, and they both go in and bend together before the throne of sovereign grace. All classes are affected. Even the Senate feels it. The statesman himself is surprised at it and wonders what all these things mean. Even the monarch on the throne feels she has become the monarch of a people better than she knew before, and that God is doing something in her realms past all her thought, that a great king is swaying a better scepter and exerting a better influence than even her excellent example. Nor does it even end there. Heaven is filled. One by one the converts die, and it gets even fuller. The harps of heaven are louder. The songs of angels are inspired with new melody, for they rejoice to see the sons of men prostrate before the throne of God. The universe is made glad. It is God's own summer. It is the universal spring. The time of the singing of birds is come. The voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Oh, that God might send us such a revival of religion as this. Indeed, may God send revival such as this. That answer to the question, what happens when true revival takes place, was provided during the Sunday morning sermon preached on the 28th of March, 1858, titled The Great Revival. You are welcome to email me about this episode if you will. The email address is dave at And until next time, the Lord bless you.